Hi, this is Michael Soto. And I'm Sam Garman. You're listening to Transform, the podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answers. Your questions ignore me. Let me tell you a story. It's election day, Sam. Yes, it is. What do we do on election day, Michael? We vote. We fucking vote. Yes, we do. We vote uh, either by mail beforehand. Yes, mm-hmm. some, I did that. Good job. Well done. I, I don't like voting by mail. I like going to the polls. The thing is, I'm interested in the sticker. Um, yeah. That is, like, aesthetically, I'm interested in the sticker. Mm-hmm. But but um, I also know that actually the thing, the number of things that could potentially happen in my life that might prevent me from getting to the polls Fair. makes me feel like the mail-in ballot is the way that I can... Yeah. Be really sure that my vote is heard. Yeah, well, you, you have kiddos and the whole thing, so God. that who knows what could happen at any. And time you know, the that. universe would conspire where like all three of them were sick simultaneously, yeah. and like something was on fire, and it would be like, well, yeah. apparently I'm not voting today, and I'm not going to be that guy. There you go. Refuse so you, to be that guy. Exactly. So you voted early. I did. You voted by mail. That's I did. Excellent. Uh, I have gone to the polls because I love going to the polls, but I go very early in the morning to make sure I get it done right away. Yep. Uh, it's like how I like to start my day on election day. Every election day makes me feel really good. Yeah. And, and as you all listen to this, uh, Michael and I will be like probably frantically refreshing our <laughs> feed to get <laughs> polling information yes. and like watching the whoever's on the big board oh yeah it's pretty much all day it's quite possible that i uh you know will just be doing that yeah all all, day. all the day long all the day long. That's my job. So actually, I will just be doing that all day, <laughs> all the day long. <laughs> uh, and then going to the uh, Equality Arizona has a joint watch party with the Working Families Party. So we'll be going to that on election night, uh, hopefully celebrating some big wins in Arizona and nationally. That's hopefully our real hope. Yep. Uh, but if we're able to celebrate, depends on if you, our listeners, get out and do Voting. Yes. <laughs> Do the voting. Do the voting. Go and vote today, vote folks. Vote the voting. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you have not voted yet, uh, we hope that you will get in your car right now and either go drop off your mail-in ballot if you haven't hadn't mailed it before today, because uh, you can't mail it at this point. you got to go drop it off at the poll. <laughs> yes. um, or go and vote at your polling location right now. Put us on pause, in fact, and go vote. Yes. Uh, today we have the pleasure of um, speaking with and bringing you an interview from someone that we have a ton of respect for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work that she does with the National Center for Transgender Equality is amazing. Um, it has been a leading force of change for trans folks. So today you get to enjoy an interview with Mara Kiesling, the executive director of both the National Center for Transgender Equality and the National Center for Transgender Equality Action Fund. 
So we know you're going to love this interview, um, and we will be excited to hear what you thought about it when you send us an email or leave us a comment on our Facebook page. We're going to start by asking you to introduce yourself. Um, so we always ask everyone names, uh, pronouns, um, and then a little bit about uh, who you are in the world and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Great. And... Um... Yeah, I'm happy to. So I'm Mara Kiesling, and I'm the executive director of the National Center for Transgender Equality. Uh, I use she pronouns, and um, you know my my job at NCTE is kind of a mishmash of management, policy, um, and being a public face for the organization. Wonderful. Um, I uh, am was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work for you. Uh, it feels like a long time ago now. Um, and so I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. Um, I just appreciate the work that you do in the world. Um, it's uh, NCTE is just an incredible organization that has made so much positive change for the trans community. Um, and I really credit that to your vision and leadership, Mara. Oh, thank you very much. That, that means a lot. And uh, it's very mutual. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> um, um, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, we are two of your biggest fans. And um, so we were wondering if you could share with us a little bit of uh, how you came to the work um, sure. at NCTE. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I grew up thinking I was the only person in the world who had this thing that didn't have a name. I mean, it did have a name. It was, I wanted to be a girl. Um, and that was the only framing that was available to me because I had to make it up myself. There were no role models. Um, every year or two, there'd be some sensationalist trans-related article in a tabloid, um, but that's about it. And so I grew up completely alone. And that was true until the late 80s when the internet started uh, and started becoming more popularized. And, in, and then in the early 90s, we started being able to meet other trans people online and understand that there were a lot of us and understand that we all had um, similar policy goals that if we worked together on would be great and that nobody was nobody was speaking responsibly for us. There were some um, gay rights groups at the time who would begrudgingly usually um, respond to requests from policymakers, but they they didn't know what they were doing. Um, they had no way of knowing what they were doing. They often didn't want to be doing it, and sometimes they did actual damage. And we all knew, all of us who were forming these communities online, um, knew that we really needed to to get some smart, professional, strong voice for trans person in Washington. And um, a bunch of us have been talking about it. And um, around 2002, um, I knew that I had to be part of that. And um, so we started NCTE. I had the number one qualification um, for going to Washington and leading it, which is I was available. <laughs> um, and I had some lobbying experience and some management experience and I was willing and, and all that. So that's how NCT started. Wonderful. That's wow. Fantastic. 2002. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that 
you know, that, that feels like, I, you know, sometimes I forget how, uh, that that was a while ago. It feels like it was yesterday, yeah. but it was a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, I usually refer to it not as 2002, but as the turn of the century. And oh, I like that. <laughs> I'm finding it still confuses people because they think I mean like 1901 or something. <laughs> You're like, yes, I was here in 1901 and don't I look fabulous? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's important to moisturize. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> With sunscreen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of sunscreen. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think you make just a, such an interesting point around like the like someone who is of us had to speak for us mm-hmm. like that needed there. It couldn't just be someone else who's like, hey, these people are important. It had to be we are important. Yep, yeah. such a critical thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's exactly right. And um, and, and there was nobody doing that. Uh, in fact, there yeah. were there were people in Washington who should have been on our sides who were actively saying, oh, well, we think those people are actually protected by sex discrimination laws oh, wow. um, and don't yeah. need to be protected by these gender identity and expression specific laws. Now, we also agree from at least a strategic point of view that and we did agree back then that we believe that the sex discrimination laws did cover us, in fact, and we we were all already starting um, litigation to try to cement that in. Um, but that didn't and doesn't mean that we don't also need uh, the trans-specific laws that are covered under gender identity and expression. So I'm thinking about 2002, and that has been uh, quite a lot of years ago. And I'm wondering, Mara, if you could remember and then possibly frame for our listeners like what was happening in popular culture around trans issues at that time like i'm thinking about like was Chaz bono out at that point no so that was still the point at which um there would be and it really started accelerating around the late 90s when there would suddenly be the first trans teacher comes out, the first trans doctor, the first trans business person. And, you know, these stories were popping every, you know, six months to a year. Um, You know, the first uh, city manager of a small town in Florida. Um, So that stuff was happening. But, you know, it was still uh, it was still so different than it is now. For instance, um, a touch point for me was a meeting in 2001 with the uh, minority leader in the Pennsylvania state Senate is a liberal Democrat. And we were trying to get trans people into a hate crimes protection act. We were trying to pass. And he said, no, because we'd lose all the votes. Um, He was wrong, by the way, we ended up getting in and we got all the Democrats and 13 Republicans um, wow. but at the time he said, no, you'll lose all the Democrats, let alone the Republicans. And then he pulled me aside and I was the only trans person in our little delegation. And he pulled me aside and he said, but Mara, look at the bright side. Five years ago, I wouldn't have let you in my office. Whoa. And it sounds super Whoa. harsh, okay. but he's probably right. Yeah. You know, we used to, yeah. so back then around the turn of the century, we used to, uh, my friend Kathy and I had this little game we played called flinch. And what it was, when we met politicians, um, we would shake their hand and then, like, touch them on the shoulder, like, just give them a, you know, a pat on the shoulder and see if they freaked out. 
Um, and I remember the, the mayor of Philadelphia at the time, who was, again, a good liberal Democrat, but was just so uncomfortable that there was a trans person. I sat in a congressperson's office um, we, and they had me sit on the sofa. They had him sit on the sofa. Then when he found out who I was, he just clearly started moving away from me on the sofa. Um, oh, wow. That was there was a, a state senator in one state who's now in Congress, by the way, who's who's great on our stuff. So I'm not going to name him. But at the time, <laughs> at the time around like oh three oh four, um, I was in in his office with uh, Kyler Broadus, who's a, a trans man who's done a lot of work, and we were we were in the state senator's office trying to get him to vote for something, and then he looked at at me and he said we were talking about transgender issues and then suddenly his face just uh, lit up, but in a more surprised way than in a good way. And he was just like, he looked at me and he's like, Oh my God, you are one. You're one. And then he looked at Kyler. He's like, Oh my God, you're one too. Oh my God. You guys are, you guys are them. Wow. And so that's, oh that's God. how that was now. And, you know, we used to start all of our meetings with policyholders, whether they were in bureaucracies or in legislatures. And we'd start off with, before we get going, um, you know, we're going to be talking about transgender people. Do you feel like you know enough about what that means or would you like me to explain it to you? And they would always yeah. say, uh, yeah, it would be helpful if you uh, made sure we were on the same page. Now they just sort of brush it off. And like, no, 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 no. Of course I know what it is. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And by the way, I think Beyonce hadn't even been born yet. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned wow. pop culture i just wanted to throw that out there um, i like it we were in the before beyonce era that's big i actually i have no idea when beyonce she she had certainly been born but she was not yet beyonce she was not yet beyonce okay, okay. Yeah. i don't know when destiny's child formed or fell apart so anyway um but let's not talk about that today <laughs> yeah that's next time yeah. <laughs> um that's amazing, Mara, just the, the stories that you have about sort of the beginning of the trans movement in a policy, from a policy perspective and from, you know, talking to people who are governing. I remember also that uh, that, that used to happen in even LGB, LGBTQ spaces, right? I mean, I think that's, that's the part that for me was even uh, a little more hard to wrap my head around people that are a part of our community would also be like, wait, who are you all? Or having some of those similar reactions of being like, Oh, you're one of them, you know, or yeah. um, can you speak to that a little bit? Did you have a similar experience with that? What What do you mean? Did I have a similar experience uh, within the LGBTQ oh, yeah, 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 yeah. movement? Um, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, to, to a lesser extent there were, there were, you know, before I came around, so I got involved in like 98, 99 and for a good solid certainly 10 years, but probably going back all the way to Stonewall, um, there had been some really great trans leaders and educators who were leaning pretty heavily on the gay rights movement, um, as it was called at the time, to, to recognize us, to accept us, to, to you know, understand that our communities weren't two separate communities, that we had always shared a history and culture and safe space. Um, and so by the time I came around, that was less a thing. I mean, there, there was a lot of, we don't want 
uh, we don't think that it, it would be good to advocate for you because we're on a roll now and you will hurt us. I mean, th there was a lot of, that's from the organized part of the movement. There were certainly a lot of LGBT people who were just super transphobic and were like, why are these people getting in our stuff? Um, that was yeah. mostly not the groups, you know, the organizations. Mm. There, there was some organizations locally and stuff, but even even the national groups that we think of as having come along slowly, by the turn of the century, they were all um, at least acting appropriately, uh, or I, I don't mean that. I mean, uh, we're presenting appropriately. They still might not have wanted us uh, to be in their the protections they were fighting for, but they would never have been rude. Um, you know, yeah. four years before HRC um, added trans people to its mission statement and before they backed down and stopped standing in the way of us getting into the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, um, they had me and Shannon Mentor come and do a training for all their staff. They were all perfectly lovely people. They were just making sort of inappropriate uh, um, strategic and tactical decisions to exclude us. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think they understood trans people. And I don't think they got trans people and, and all that, but uh, also everybody who was an activist at that point, which isn't the case anymore, but at that time, every one of us who was an activist at that point had grown up clearly believing and being told that who we were was wrong and that mm. we were uh, excludable. Um, and um, I think it took a long time for a lot of us to understand our worth and, yeah, and to absolutely. instill that worth. Uh, that, I mean, one of the most amazing things that's happening are these the kids now who are coming out and are being told from, you know, age three, you know, you have value. This isn't, this yeah, isn't a yeah. horrible, bad, shameful thing. This is who you are. And now let's make it, let's make society understand that. And it's a whole different, a whole different framework that we're, we're coming from uh, as older yeah. people compared to the younger folks now. I don't mean that any of us had it harder Absolutely. or easier. It isn't really about that. It, it, it was just our orientation started out so different. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. God, I think that's a really powerful point that you make around like, if the message you've always received is that you're excludable or that there's something shameful or bad, mm -hmm. how does then that show up in your like ability to advocate for yourself Yeah, and the, the difference in those things? That's a, that's a, that I, I looked at Michael and went, Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> As you were saying that um, yeah. it's something I think we've talked about in the past and we feel really deeply that, that reality. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, one of the most interesting things in the U S trans survey um, <clears throat> is along those same lines. Um, you know, we, we found that I think it was 38% of the trans people we surveyed um, are, have, have been in a period of severe psychological distress during the last week. Um, that compares to about 5% of the general public who do the same battery of tests. Um, so we're, you know, five or six times more likely to um, be in severe psychological distress. And that does impact our ability to organize and our ability to support each other. 
uh, you know, there's an old saying in, in, in social justice and in uh, uh, helping professions that hurt people hurt people. And I don't mean to imply that trans people hurt people more than other people, but, you know, we are, we are demonstrably in more pain in, in, in certain ways and um, in more psychological distress, I, I guess is how I should say it. And, um, and that impacts how we interact with each other, let alone how we impact with policymakers or the general public or the media. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that points to, as you're saying, like really a critical piece of advocacy and policy work is also healing from the trauma um, mm-hmm. that we have inherited from society telling us that uh, we are wrong, that we're bad, that we don't fit in some way, um, whether we got that from our families, yeah. from our schools, from our places of work. Um, I think that's really critical. And I think your staff is a amazing uh, model for that, just of trans people organizing together, doing this work, um, and finding a way to build a community as well that is healing, um, sort of within that context of. Well, that's work. very kind. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing I think is interesting is anytime we talk about mental health issues like this, mm-hmm. it is really easy for folks to hear the framing from folks who would oppose us, saying like, "Oh, that's because they're mentally ill," mm-hmm. and I. And, and I have heard over and over from trans folks, this idea that like I was born in the wrong body. Um, and I think that I, so I saw a tweet the other day that was, I wasn't born in the wrong body. My body was born in the wrong society mm-hmm. to reframe the impact of societal expectations of our bodies and our conformity around how we should be. Um, and I think that's, that's where it, that's where this psychological distress stuff comes from. Um, and I, as I read that, I was like, yeah. I had to take a moment. I had to take a moment and like, oh, I was like, oh, I need to sit yeah. down. I need to like have a minute with, I need to have a minute with that. Yeah. That's yeah. real. No, it's, that's a great, it is point. a thing. It's definitely a thing. Um, it's, uh, and it's, it's really hard, you know, this, this week, um, not to get all, Sad on you, but this week I lost um, one of my oldest friends. And oh no, somebody oh, I've known so since sorry. I was twelve years old. And um, oh. it's the first person he was the first person I came out to. He was the person who, for like a year or so, I was struggling. I knew I knew Mark had to be the first one I came out to because he was, you know. Uh, just about my closest friend I'd ever had in my life. And he was kind and he was the person I always went to for perspective. And, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that the last few days since he passed. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and if I had come out 20 years earlier, you know, would he have supported me? I don't, I, I mean, I think so. He was just such a decent, solid human person, but, um, you know, the, what society you're in and who your people are um, really matters. And family acceptance, family in the broader sense, acceptance is the most important thing for predicting whether a trans person will thrive. 
Yeah. Um, people who don't have support can thrive, and but it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a million times easier if, if, if you have support. Yeah. 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 Just having people in your life that believe in you, that see you, um, like Mark, yeah. like your friend, um, we're well, thank you. sorry for your loss. Thank you. So. We're really curious about how NCTE looks at the sort of political landscape and the policy landscape and prioritizes the work of what you do and then what issues you really want to tackle. So can you talk sure, a little bit absolutely. about that process? Uh, and, and it's something I find really fascinating. So I think, I think if you asked us, which you did, but I think if, if, if you asked us and we had a ready answer, like if we put an answer to that question up on our website, what it would say is, we always try to prioritize the work that will help the most people who need it the most, the most. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, yes. um, we don't spend a lot of time on the tax implications of um, what's it called? The taxes when people die and they leave money to their kids, estate taxes. Yeah. Uh, we we haven't really spent a lot of time on the, implications of estate taxes on trans people. Um, not, not that estate taxes aren't important and not that wealthy trans people aren't people we care about, but what we know is trans people who are in jails and prisons desperately need us now. Um, trans people who are refugees yeah. or, or immigrants desperately need us now. Trans people who are sex workers desperately need us mm-hmm. now. Um, trans people who are losing their jobs, um, who are being thrown out of their homes, um, who are facing, who are facing violence. They need us now. So the, who needs us the most, um, uh, is really, really important to us. The truth is that there are other considerations. So one is, um, just what are the exigencies at the time or, or what are the opportunities at the time? So if, um, if right now there's a big, all anybody in DC is talking about is Brett Kavanaugh being on the Supreme court. Um, you know, that's something that implicates so much of our work. You know, this, we as a movement have a really great litigation strategy, which is now out the window and we all have to figure that out. So Brett Kavanaugh, us pitching in to try to defeat Brett Kavanaugh was super important because now was the moment to do it. Um, it didn't hurt any of our other work, but it was an opportunity and it was a, uh, just something happening in the world, an exigency that we thought really needed to be responded to. So every now and then during the Obama administration, we'd get a call from some agency saying, we're going to do this. You know, will you work with us on it? And, you know, we didn't say, um, you know, Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. We are not going to work with you because <laughs> who you help is people who are employees of um, con- federal government contractors and they don't need us as much as sex workers need us or something like that. Um, we do take the opportunities and uh, what we were very good at understanding during the Obama administration is the snowball effect of all of this. And we take that into account. So, are policies stepping stones to get other policies? Are they firewalls so other bad things can't happen? Um, so it's a it's a really actually a fairly complex thing. And by the way, there is a there is a component 
of interest, of, of personal interest to it, not just my personal interest, but our staff's personal interest. Um, there may occasionally be something mm-hmm. that comes up and we're just like, yeah, we don't really want to work on that. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's never, I mean, it's, it's not so that we can kick back and do nothing. It's because we're buried under other stuff. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of things though, that, uh, you know, we were very instrumental in all of the work with the federal aviation administration on trans pilot licenses. Um, I know I would argue that trans pilots were probably among the more privileged trans people. Um, but they really needed us and we're the federal government experts and we were yeah. so thankful that we were able to participate in that, in that project to, to move the FAA around. Um, and then this, the last thing yeah. is we like to not duplicate efforts. Um, so, you know, the trans military thing is a really good example. We've been a part of that, but there were so many groups that just were fighting to be in charge of it we've sort of laid back and, and taken a more consultative role. Um, we've pushed when we've had to, but we haven't tried to own it because there's so many other groups that want to own it. Um, and there, we didn't have any particular military expertise that would have meant we had to fight our way in. Um, so we're, we're, we're kind of a gap organization in that way. So anyway, you probably didn't expect that big of an answer, but it, it is a complex thing, no, it's but it's very important to us that, um, you know, we, we be working for the people who need it the most. Um, one of the other interesting things that we've been trying to do for the last 15 years is to look at what the possibilities are and to try to move them forward. I mean, the, the, the idea of getting a third gender marker on driver's licenses seven years ago was absurd. Mm-hmm. I, I made that number seven up. It might be five, it might yeah. be 10, but in 2003, it would have been actively harmful for us to try to, to win that immediately. A, you yeah. would have had to skip other Absolutely. stepping stones that have been so important. And B, we could have faced an earlier backlash that would have halted a lot of things. Um, now it's a super big priority. Um, and uh, anyway, so it's complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. that's a progression, like you've been talking about. There's, yeah, it's it's evolutionary. Um, something else that so NCTE has really, uh, I think, led the way in the trans movement, but also in even the larger LGBTQ movement um, in terms of being an organization that is uh, openly and loudly focused on intersectional communities um, and being inclusive of. Uh, communities that in a way that reflects the true diversity um, of the trans community in this country. Um, can you speak a little bit to that and why that work has been, how you all do that work? Yeah. I, I, I want to first acknowledge right away that a, it's really, really hard. And sometimes we probably do a good job and sometimes we just don't. Um, uh, you know, I think we always mean to be doing a really good job at that, but we don't always. So uh, I, I want to say that. You know, going back to the U.S. Trans Survey, um, there, there, there is some data in there that's always caught my eye. And that is we asked the 28,000 people we interviewed if they had needed medical care uh, in the last year. If they said yes, we said, did you go get the medical care? And if they said no to that, we said, why not? 
And we saw that 23% of our sample who said they needed medical care in the last year didn't get it because they were afraid of discrimination or disrespect. Mm. So a quarter of the people who needed medical treatment didn't get it wow. and, yeah. um, because they were afraid of trans discrimination. Wow. And that's horrible, uh, unacceptable, and we got to fix that. But really yeah. importantly, yeah. 33%, so 10% more, so almost 50% more, said they needed medical treatment, they didn't get it, and they didn't get it because they couldn't afford to get it. So if you're in that 10%, wow. the most important trans issue you faced when you needed healthcare was poverty or, you know, a fucked up health. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I swore on your thing, on your podcast, but, you know, or it's a okay. messed up <laughs> healthcare system. <laughs> Um, and, and what we know yeah. from just being people who know lots of trans people and lots of different kinds of trans people is any given trans person today, their biggest trans problem that is making their life harder might be racism. It might be disability access. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. um, and so we really think that in order to be not just moral, although that's really important to us, but also to be effective, to understand who trans people are, you have to try to you have to try to do your best at thinking about the whole trans person and all the different things that all trans people are. And you have to be anti-racist and pro-immigrant and pro-worker and pro-woman and pro-disability rights and et cetera. And it's, it's hard to do because also, um, you know, we, we've done a lot of work on the dream act in the last few years. Um, a, Mm -hmm. nobody wants us leading that work. Um, B, um, nobody would listen to us if we were leading that work. Um, you know, nobody's sitting around all day saying, yes, but what does the National Center for Transgender Equality think about DACA? Um, but that's not quite true. I mean, there are trans uh, immigrants who are, who are thinking that. Yeah. So we have, to, right. we have to understand that's an important part of trans work. We have to understand our place in it. Um, if, if we decided to be a 24-7 you know, DACA policy group, um, we've missed so many other opportunities that lots of trans people, including trans immigrants, need us to do. Um, and it wouldn't be effective. There's no real way it would be effective. So that, that's like everything else in the world. That's nuanced and complicated. But um, it's something that's really <laughs> important for us to, to be trying to do here and to always getting better at. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and just that's a critical piece of building uh, the movement for this century, right? Uh, a movement that reflects all the types yeah. of trans people. And boy, there's there a lot of different kinds of trans people. Yeah. I think it's like 12. Indeed. <laughs> 12. Least, okay. least, at least, at least no, it doesn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you know, I mean, there's a zillion. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, that's wonderful. Don't you guys sometimes wish I gave short answers? No. no, we love your answers. <laughs> I'm going to try to give you a short one soon. Okay. Okay. All right. This this one is probably the one because this one is a really um, straightforward and ready. not at all complex. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. So 
today is election day for the midterm elections. Yep. Um, nope. That was my answer. Yep. Yep. There it is. <laughs> well you nailed it. That was such a short answer. Um, so what should folks be looking for in a candidate? And why is it important for folks to get out and vote today, especially for trans candidates? Well, um, try and give that one a short answer. <laughs> no, I think it's it's the most important question today. So by far, the most important thing is for everybody to vote still today. Um, you know, even if you don't agree with me on issues, even if you don't agree with any trans people, you know, on issues, it's still important for you to have your voice. And um, uh, I, I want to be really careful here because. Um, we've already introduced me as coming from the National Center for Transgender Equality, which is a non-political, non-partisan 501c3. Uh, I also happen to be the executive director of the National Center for Transgender Equality Action Fund, which has a little bit more leeway. Um, (laughs) but I, you know, I'm not, I don't think it's helpful for me to like name particular candidates anyway. What I would say is that, um, you know, hopefully you've looked into things. Hopefully you've been watching what's going on. Hopefully you watched the, um, just everything that's been going on in the last two years. Um, and if you're happy about it, you know, go vote accordingly, bless your heart. But (laughs) if uh, like most trans people, you are angry or scared, um, or, um, you know, whatever else, then, you know, you go vote accordingly. Um, I think, um, uh, I I do have to say I'm very hopeful even today that tomorrow or tonight, we're going to know that, um, the leadership in Congress is going to change. Um, I think we could pass some things in Congress a year ago and five years ago, but, the leadership has always been, has been anti-trans and anti-LGBT. Um, I'm very hopeful that at least at the House of Representatives tonight, that we'll, we'll see that there's a new leadership and we're ready to hit the ground running um, to, get, to get some stuff done. Um, we're going to be trying to pass the Equality Act, which is the very comprehensive Civil Rights Act that protects um, people based on sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, across seven areas, employment, housing, credit, education, jury service, public accommodations. I don't know how many I counted, but you get the idea. It's very comprehensive. We're going to be working on that. We're going to be working on a, a, a TSA bill um, that will require searches to be um, done with more dignity and, and more appropriate way than the TSA is currently doing it at airports. Uh, and I think you'll see some other bills and we're going to really make some pushes to try to advance them. I don't know if they'll pass both chambers of Congress or even one chamber of commerce, Congress yet, but, um, and I have no idea what the president will do, um, uh. or who the president will be, um, you know, a month from now or two years from now. Um, yeah, yeah I have no idea if I answered your question, but it was a long well, answer did. and that's what we that's like. Silly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a great question. And I think that, you know, the follow up to that is, you know, right now, it when it feels like things are so pressing, there's a lot of energy around voting today. Yep. So I think 
there, you know, folks have been watching the news, folks have been seeing the things that are happening and the, and the response to it has consistently been remember to go vote, remember to go vote, remember to go vote. And so here we are, we're all voting. And the next step after tonight, we're going to watch results come in and then, and then there's like, what then? And so I, I think you're framing around what you all are planning to do with the, with the momentum that's already happened in the work that's going to happen next. I, I think that um, we would, we would highly advocate for um, like folks to continue to be writing to their senators and congressmen every day, except maybe the tone is different because now it's like, Hey, there's these great bills and now you can really make a change and support them. Um, So that's, that's one thing we've been thinking about is what happens after this gigantic push Uh for today? Like how do we continue to, motivate folks yeah uh, it's a really great question and the most important question today i think um you know it's we're going to have to see what happens today um what i know is that ncte will be ready we'll be ready to um work if if there is new leadership in congress we're going to be working with them not just to pass legislation but also to try to hold the trump administration accountable to things that the um current leadership in Congress isn't willing to do. They're just letting the president and his administration do whatever they want. And we are going to be, um, uh, we're going to be pushing really hard for a lot better oversight, some investigations. Um, I mean, somebody has to investigate what happened to trans military service. Um, I mean, we know the president just made a capricious decision Mm -hmm. to make one person happy at some point. And that has to come out and that has to be leaned on. Um, we're going to be ready there. We're also going to be very ready at NCTE for, I bet at least a half a dozen governor's office, governor's mansions, I think they say, but governor's offices are going to switch from bad governors to good governors. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to want to um, be ready for that. There's a lot that governors can do in states. They can sign executive orders um, protecting state employees from discrimination. Um, you guys could use that in Arizona. They, yes, we could. They, sure could. The no. state insurance commissions can um, remind um, private insurers that it's illegal to discriminate against trans people. Um, and there's, there's dozens of things that governors can do. And, you know, we've been watching the governor's races carefully and preparing with partners in in those states to um, get some things done fast and comprehensively. Um, the, the most important thing I would tell people to do, regardless of what happens today, is, uh-huh. is to stay fiercely optimistic. I don't mean the optimism of everything's always okay and, and this is great and nothing better we can do. I don't mean that kind of optimism. I mean the optimism that is a political act. It is, yes. it is a moment that yeah. you say to yourself, yeah. we can do better and I'm going to step up and make sure we do. And I know we mm. can win if we stand together and fight together. Um, and everybody needs to have that optimism. I promise you, I do and we do at NCTE. Um, this, this last two years has been horrible. 
um, and has really harmed trans people and um, has no doubt even in fact caused deaths. Um, deaths from suicide, deaths from not having health care, from not having, um, you know, from not being protected at school. And I don't want to minimize any of that. Um, but I want to take that and I want to take the anger that comes from that and I want to channel it into the kind of power that I know trans people have and, and we can get this stuff fixed. Yeah, absolutely. You can't see us, but Michael just and I just spent that entire answer like doing happy dances and high fiving oh, and like fist fist bumping. There was there was a lot of solidarity celebration yes. going on over here for all you. of the ideas you just presented. Yes. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Thanks. Well, your work means a lot to us. Um, in the so in the two years leading up to 2020, um, when hopefully we will be electing a new president um, and even more uh, leaders to Congress and across the country and other positions uh, that believe in trans equality, um, what can individual people do to support the work of NCTE and support the work for trans equality? Um, you mentioned there there's a National Center for Transgender Equality and there's also the Action Fund. And so I'm just wondering if you can share with folks how they can get involved um, with those two entities. Yeah. So um, you can uh, obviously go to the websites. Um, the National Center for Transgender Equality is at um, trans, transequality.org. Um, okay. And the and, and from there you can also connect with all of our social um, social media. Um, and the action fund is at ncteactionfund.org. Um, so ncteactionfund.org. Um, okay. And you can find out our social media uh, information there, but. Um, you know, Twitter, it's MCT Action Fund. It is Twitter and Facebook, both. Um, I don't think we have an Instagram yet on the Action Fund, um, but we do on the uh, the National Center for Transgender Equality. Um, we, we do have all of that. So you can go um, do that. Um, number two, um, you know, the, the plan we have for next year to... Um, work in the, the states that switch to good governors, to work in Congress, so it's actually going to be very expensive and we're going to have to be raising money for that. And I know that's not what your podcast is about, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that. That's a big part of what I'll be doing for the next three months. Um, Absolutely. How can people donate? And uh, uh, Yeah, on our website at transequality.org um, uh, or ncteactionfund.org. I would, I would also say something that has been an incredible boost this year and to some extent last year, but um, we have been so blessed uh, about uh, fo by folks on Facebook doing little fundraisers for us, um, you know, for their birthday. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'd say the average is probably like two or $300 that they, they raise. And that's so phenomenal for us. I mean, I mean, I think for a super large organization, that might not seem like a lot, but for us, that's amazing. And if you go to our Facebook page, there's usually a handful of people doing these at any given time. 
and it is so helpful to us. Um, it's it's just really remarkable how much it helps. That's awesome. And then and then vote. Thank you for. I, I know that sounds vote. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I don't want to tell you who to vote for, but um, just understand how you vote, and importantly, whether you vote will impact what kind of policymakers we're working with here at NCTE. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which dictates what's, uh, in some ways, uh, how much progress you can make, right, in a given period of time. Well, Mara, thank you so much for joining us today. Truly appreciate um, you sharing your insight, your wisdom uh, with us. do you have anything that you'd like to, any last things you'd like to share with the folks? No, I just want to thank you guys for, um, for doing this podcast. Um, it, it really matters. And you never know when you're going to create a memory or a moment for somebody. You don't know when you're going to save somebody's life because they understand that people respect them, care about them, and are working for them. And it, it just matters a lot. And I don't know if you guys know that when you're just sitting at your computer um, that it just matters so much, and I'm very thankful. Uh, thank you. That means a lot to us. We really thank appreciate you. that. Thank you so much. Um, we will include all the links in our show notes so that folks can get involved with NCTE. Um, and just thank you again for spending time with us on election day. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mara. Absolutely. Anytime, you guys. Thank, thank you, you so much. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We include an ally moment in every episode because we know that there are lots of you listening who aren't trans, uh, but you're listening because there's probably someone in your life that you really care about that is trans or you want to be a good ally to the trans community. So these moments are for you and they're all about how uh, you can best support the trans friends and loved ones in your life. Today's ally moment uh, for you all is around something that Mara said in her interview that struck Michael and I really deeply. Yeah. Uh, she mentioned this idea of being fiercely optimistic. Um, and we really heard fierce optimism as an action step. Yes. So it's not a you know Pollyanna belief that everything is going to be fine and good. It's a call to action that we can be better, we must be better, and that we are the ones we've been waiting for to make it better. Yes. Um, and so as we wrap up this election day and hopefully celebrate some big wins, um, fierce optimism would call us into the next two years of really strong continued work. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have an ongoing struggle for trans rights, trans inclusion, and trans equality in this country. Uh, and that means, as well as many other struggles, like women's rights and women's equality and rights for LG, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer folks, uh, as well as people of color. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, and that means that you need to be actively involved. Uh, you need to be doing the work to be involved in these movements, either as an ally um, or as someone who's of that lived experience and affected by it. Um, and this fierce optimism, I really think it's how we keep going, right? Even in difficult weeks when we lose, uh, when, when we lose political battles or we lose policy battles or even lose cultural battles, which happens, um, a loss doesn't mean that it's over, right? 
even when we take a step back, we can keep going and we will keep going. Um, and that means that your work is needed even more. Yeah, absolutely. And so we would say uh, some of our action steps around fierce optimism, even from today forward, um, the things that many of us have been energized around in being politically active are things that we can continue to do, even if we're no longer opposing the people that are in office. So for instance, if you happen to be a person who upon drinking their coffee every morning writes to their senators and congressmen, (laughs) if you do that, um, you could continue to do that. You could. And continue to give them feedback about the things that you care about and want to see. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I am deeply disappointed in this vote because it shows that you are spineless. It can say, like, I really care about this piece of legislation that the National Center for Transgender Equality is bringing. Uh, Please vote for that. Here's how it impacts me. So continuing to have that level of engagement with political leaders um, and political representatives is actually one way that we can utilize the momentum that we built towards voting today to actually be the platform on which we build for 2020. Absolutely. Um, You can also uh, begin looking into uh, support, either supporting candidates that you can fully 100% get behind and support um, or even running for office yourself. Um, There are so many elected offices in this country and out of all of the elected positions in our nation, only 0.1% are held by LGBTQ people. And that means there's a lot of work to do for trans folks and lesbian, gay, bisexual folks and queer folks stepping up and running for office. Um, There are a whole lot of resources to help you do that. And we will post some in the show notes so that if you are interested and think you may want to run for office, um, you can start getting ready for that. Um, Especially so that we no longer have to make the choice between uh, a candidate who will do less harm to our community or candidates that we aren't excited about and that we don't believe are there to make the kind of change that we need to make. Yeah, I think there are there are many folks out there right now who are voting today for someone that you wish was representing your interests better or was taking stands on things or... Um, and you maybe are voting for them because of the party that they're aligned with, because like that's kind of the best you can do. Yeah. So we have an opportunity in the next two years to actually support the development of candidates yeah. um, and potentially even yourselves that would be those candidates that we would be thrilled to vote for in 2020 and beyond. Um, the candidates that we would be thrilled to vote for on the school board, the candidates that we would be thrilled to vote for as county commissioners, uh-huh. like those Every level of every level of government needs people who care about these issues and are allies. And so one thing you can do as an ally is to help support those folks who are developing and coming up um, and give them give them opportunities to to grow and rise in that way. Absolutely. Um, And if you aren't ready to run for office yourself or maybe aren't ready to uh, jump on to doing work for campaigns and that sort of stuff. Um, you can educate yourself and others about the civic process. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of resources out there that we will also include in the show notes uh, where you can engage with different organizations in Arizona and around the country to learn about the civic process here in Arizona and in other states and across our country uh, so that you are better able to be an informed voter um, and to be someone who is proudly participating in public life. It's time for closing credits. 
This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Michael Soto. And me, Sam Garman. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Our music is by Skylar Kurgel. Check him out at SkylarKurgel.com, where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate your questions and feedback. Email us at transformpod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story.